This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. The Meanwhile in Memphis radio show and podcast are brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are me, Rebecca Hamm, and my colleague, Anna Thompson. Before we dive into the conversation, we have a few calendar reminders. TEDx Memphis is building a playlist of big ideas from Memphis and beyond. What will you add to the mix? If you've got a fresh new idea or want to remix a standard, apply for the opportunity to add your voice to TEDx Memphis The Mixtape by February 29th. Find out more and apply to give your TEDx talk at tedx-memphis.com. Coming up on February 27th is Celebrate What's Right, Creative Economics. This event will explore the intersection of arts and industry and celebrate the smart business case Memphis is making for culture and creativity in our community. This event is powered by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, First Horizon, and Duncan Williams Asset Management. In today's conversation, we've invited some local solution makers to the studio to talk about how their organizations are working to address food insecurity in our community. For context, the national nonprofit food bank, Feeding America, estimates that upwards of 103,000 people in Shelby County are experiencing food insecurity, and half of that number are children. While those numbers are staggering, there are many members of our community who are working to make impactful change, both by working to meet immediate needs and also by striving to implement long-term systemic solutions. Joining us in the studio today are Ann Perry Wallace, Director of Food Justice at First Congregational Church, and Karen Bernard, who is the Food Programs Manager at The Works Incorporated. We'll let them introduce themselves, so without further ado, let's bring our guests to the studio. Welcome, Ann and Karen. Um, Ann, will you please let us know a little bit about yourself, your role as the Director of Food Justice at First Congregational Church, and your organization's mission? Absolutely. My name is Ann Perry Wallace. I am a native Memphian, and I attended college at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga, actually with a degree in theater. Um, I'm also an actress and a writer. Uh, but I always say that I think that the work that I do uh, all has one thing in common, which is impacting people. And so my current role as director of the Food Justice Ministry at First Congo is a way in which I can directly impact uh, folks. And so we serve our community uh, meals Monday through Thursday, hot meals, and we also provide a pantry where people can come in and uh, grocery shop. That is fantastic. And could you um, expand a little bit on your organization's mission to help us understand a little bit about um, how the food justice ministries came to be at First Congo? Definitely. Um, what we do is uh, First Congo is uh, a church. And so a while back, uh, Probably 11 years ago, I would say, um, 
the church started just informally uh, serving the community with food. Um, and we saw the need, uh, long before I got there, uh, we saw the need in the community. We, the, the homelessness in the area, uh, folks attending the church, uh, were had, were living in food deserts and uh, going through food insecurity, and so a uh, formal program was started. And so the mission is to address food insecurity in our community by providing meals and groceries. And we we're trying to alleviate alleviate the immediate needs, the individuals and the families that we serve at. Um, hunger, basically. Um, Karen, could you tell us a little bit about your background, your role as the food programs manager at The Works, as well as your organization's mission? Of course, and thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Karen Bernard. I'm also a native Memphian. I have a degree in um, dietetics from the University of Memphis. And when I went into the University of Memphis, I was thinking that I want to be a dietitian. So uh, I just want to focus on food and how to help people uh, make healthier choices. And um, when I experienced the community education class, that just changed everything. Um, I saw how you don't necessarily have to be a dietitian in order to make a true impact in people's lives. So over the past uh, 10 I think almost 11 years now, I have been working in that realm for um, community nutrition. So you have the ability to uh, directly affect so many more people in this. So as food programs manager with the works, I um, oversee the food education area. So we have a educational kitchen at our location at the South Memphis Farmers Market, 1300 Mississippi Boulevard, where we provide evidence-based cooking education classes through a curriculum called Cooking Matters. And it's an opportunity for people to come in at no cost and actually get comfortable preparing foods in the kitchen. And we don't necessarily want to, we don't take it as a we're going to show you how to cook like people just come in with no knowledge, but we want to educate you on how ways that you can make food healthier. I know we're in the South. We love for things to taste a certain type of way, but showing people how food is actually supposed to taste without having too much salt, too much sugar, all those things that make us unhealthy in the South. I also um, am the manager for our outdoor seasonal farmers market that we have in the summer. So I'm able to um, see people every single week excited about coming in and purchasing produce from local farmers that we have come in from uh, Shelby County, Haywood County, Lauderdale County, and yeah, a couple that are in Shelby County. So I just, I enjoy seeing people and seeing the changes that happen from just the simple things. And with the work mission of rebuild, restore, and renew. We're not just trying to do that for like built environments. We try to do it for the whole person. So in the area that I'm in, I'm directly affecting how people see food, the access that they have to food, and trying to make a change in that way. And that's for children, adults, seniors, anybody who's open to it. We are open to providing resources to help them make those changes. 
something that we've discussed a little bit already is the term food desert. And I wanted to take a moment to clarify that term for anybody who might not understand what that means. So Anne or Karen, um, whoever wants to jump in, can you kind of share what term food desert means? Yeah, sure. This is Anne speaking. I would say a food desert is when you have a community or a neighborhood that does not have access uh, to healthy foods from a grocery store, one in which, you know, you can't walk to the grocery store or even get, you know, a five minute ride to a grocery store. And so you see this in areas where maybe there was one grocery store and that grocery store packs up and leaves. And then the nearest one may be 20 minutes away, which eliminates the access um, to food for that whole community. And as we know, not everyone has a car uh, or can drive. And so what ends up happening is they're literally in a food desert uh, where they can't access um, food in a convenient way. I'm just going to add on to what Ann said because she's completely correct. Food is available all around, but it's not necessarily the food that you should be eating to um, give true nourishment to your body. So just thinking about the area that I'm in in South Memphis, for a typical grocery shopping run, when I'm really going to get a lot of things, I need my vehicle. I may have several bags of groceries that I pick up. But for someone who doesn't have transportation, reliable transportation, or even for the area that they're that they're living in doesn't have true public transportation, imagine yourself having to walk with all those bags that you have in your in your car that we're so used to and that we a lot of times um don't appreciate because we have it at our at our fingertips. So just Thinking of a desert and the lack of water in the desert, the lack of truly nutritious, beneficial for your food for you in an area that you live in, live, work, or play in. And if I can just also add this, um, thanks, Karen, because it's mm-hmm. that's so true. I've even heard the term where there's a lack of, you know, grocery stores or healthy food areas that are then abundant in healthy, uh, excuse me, when they're abundant in unhealthy mm-hmm. places and fast food, those places, um, and I don't know if this is a widespread term, but I've even heard those uh, areas called food swamps, where there's a lot of fast food, but nothing healthy around. Interesting. I've never heard that term before, but that it paints a picture for sure, a food swamp. I mean, yeah. yeah. The images that come to mind are definitely what you would imagine. So there is food in abundance, but not the nutritious kind. Um, So I'm curious, too, y'all already mentioned the paramount importance of transportation and the link between food access and transportation. Karen, I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more about the link between reliable transportation and food deserts. um, And the way that the mobile grocer kind of steps in to fill those gaps? Oh, of course. 
So as, as stated in my previous statement that um, just imagine having to carry that heavy load for a typical, like the, a biweekly grocery run that you would have and you don't have your own transportation. You don't have a bus that is in a decent enough walking space for you to get to. And also you may not have sidewalks or the sidewalks aren't walkable because of tree limbs or broken concrete or whatever. It, it could be the problem that's keeping you from getting access to that food. The mobile grocer helps to relieve that in a lot of areas in Memphis, specifically a lot of the senior towers that we um, provide access to. And in some of the neighborhood areas that we provide access to, it's a location that is walkable for those seniors in those senior towers. They can literally walk out of their door and walk into the parking lot and walk directly onto a grocery store on wheels to get everything that they need and a lot of things that they want. One thing that I do appreciate about what um, the mobile grocers doing in those communities. Also, we don't just have things on the shelf and just assume that this is what people want. We ask, we do surveys. Um, the shoppers are very comfortable with our driver, BJ and our cashier, Sophia, to where they feel comfortable with telling them can you provide this? And when you come back, can you bring this? And we listen and we provide that to them because we wouldn't be doing a service if they still have to go to another store to purchase something else and have to struggle through it. A lot of the times when we go to these new locations, one of the things that I do is do pre-surveys with the individuals that are there to see where are they shopping? What are they shopping for? Do they have transportation to get there? If they don't have transportation to get there, how are they getting it? How much are they paying? So we're putting a lot of savings into people's hands. I like to say a lot of times that we um, try to fill your belly up, but keep your keep your uh, pockets full. I love that. That's clever. <laughs> yeah, I say I say that pretty often, especially at the uh, farmer's market that we have. But another thing that we offer with the mobile grocer, but not just the mobile grocer at the farmer's market and our brick and mortar store in South Memphis is the So Me Fresh Savings Program. So this is a program for seniors and also SNAP recipients that if you spend up to a certain amount of money, we match it. But you have to spend that amount on fresh, frozen or canned produce. So any fruits and vegetables that you have fresh, frozen and canned, not those peaches that are in uh, heavy syrup, though, but any of those other things, fresh, frozen, canned or dried, actually, we um, will match what you spent. So this money that you get back to put into your pocket to purchase even more fresh, frozen or canned fruits and vegetables. Karen, that's so impactful that you are your organization is able to go beyond just meeting an immediate need and and focusing on uh, taking it a step further further and educating um the folks you're supporting on how they can continue um gaining you know healthful nutritious um access to their food um and both of your organizations are working to address and remedy food insecurity and it sounds like there's a, a wide range of ways that that impacts an individual to, to be experiencing food insecurity. But, um, you know, Anne, could you help us understand what food security 
look, could look like um, for someone in our community and also why so many folks in our community may be experiencing insecurity as related to food because it's not just knowledge gaps. It's it's obviously related to, um, you know, some challenges, whether it's personal or systemic. Definitely. I would agree with that. I think uh, what I've come to understand food insecurity can come from multiple places. There's, of course, homelessness. And even with uh, our population who is not uh, homeless, there's uh, underemployment. Of course, there's unemployment, but there's underemployment where people aren't just, they're just not making enough money to make ends meet. There's, um, of course, insurance issues where if someone gets sick and or your partner gets sick and there's not uh, enough insurance to cover someone to care for that person. And then so the only other person in the house has to be the caregiver. Um, and uh, sometimes people need 24 hour care. And if you're if you're the caregiver for someone like that, then you can't um, you can't work. Um, and so. That's what we see a lot. We see homelessness in our population. We see people who uh, are choosing their medicine over food. And so then they can't provide for their household. Um, and so I think uh, the opposite, obviously, of that food security would be, you know, folks who have uh, the um, employment to sustain healthy living as far as uh, food where, and they have access to uh, healthy food uh, via grocery stores that are, are close enough or uh, public transportation that uh, is reliable, which we know that, you know, public transportation, which I think Karen addressed earlier is, you know, can be really unreliable um, in uh, cities like Memphis. And I've heard it time and time again, uh, from folks waiting hours for for a bus, um, and so those are some of the things that I think cause food insecurity, and uh, they they can really be devastating. If you have to choose between really expensive medicine and food, you know, because you have to have this medicine to stay alive, well, then now you got to go outside of your home and outside of you know your income to um, to sustain yourself with food. And, and that's where programs like ours come available. And we see a range of people. We see people who are actually living uh, on the street um, as, you know, tragic and heartbreaking as that is. And then we see people who, you know, they have homes, um, but they don't have the food. Uh, we see a lot of grandparents who are now taking care of uh, grandchildren um, in ways in which they had not plan in their older years to have to do. Um, and so that puts a strain on their limited uh, income. And uh, lately I've been seeing a lot of people like getting second, chance second chances for housing, whereas like now I was living on the street. Now I have this uh, apartment and uh, I have a roof over my head, but there's nothing else to uh, buy food. And so um Th that's a range of why I think there's food insecurity. Absolutely. 
We read um, in December from an article in the Memphis Flyer that Pastor Tony Coleman of First Congo would like his church food program to initiate policy discussions to help Memphians think more about poverty and equity and what it means to be a compassionate city. Um, It's clear from just talking with you both, Anne and Karen, just this brief amount of time that your organizations are providing critical resources. But at what point does there need to be a bigger change or policy conversation to come alongside programs like yours to address the root causes of food insecurity? Um, Anne, we can start with you. And then after that, we can go to you, Karen. Yeah, I think that's like a really great pivotal question because I think, you know, if we were thinking about what, how do we know we're successful? I would say um, because we wouldn't continue seeing the same people, you know, day after day, week after week, months and upon years, because um, when you see repeat people like that, you know that not a lot has uh, changed. And so I think, yeah, definitely you, we have to talk about the systemic reasons why uh, we have these kinds of issues. And so it's, it's more than just providing, uh, you know, a hot meal Mm -hmm. uh, daily. I think you have, I think we've chosen and said that we have to do that in the meantime, but looking to our local government to, to look at the homelessness, um, looking at policy around um, insurance and um, the ways in which it's so difficult and expensive to to pay for. And I think uh, the, in the rising cost of groceries as well, I have been talking with um, a friend of mine who has started uh, something called Everbloom Pharmacy. And it's a model of uh, promoting and teaching folks to grow food. Um, And I I think starting to think about sustainable models for uh, people in our community that pushes us toward as much as possible self-sustainability in a way, uh, just a garden teaching people how to how to grow food. And our, our church has one and we're starting programming around that um, because even if you don't get 100% of your food, even just incrementally becoming uh, more aware of the ability to grow herbs, to grow tomatoes um, is something I think that might be pivotal to changing uh, the landscape. What about you, Karen? I feel that the policy conversation needs to be happening right now. It's actually happening in in small circles. And the people that are doing the work that are directly assisting the, the people that need the most help, we understand that. And like Anne was saying, we need government to understand that also. Like we can come up with the best plans. We can come up with the the most cost saving way to do things. But if we don't have support in the areas of people who make the decisions that are widespread, then we're just going to keep on turning our wheels. So I appreciate um, 
the people that are the boots on the ground doing this work on a daily basis because the need is there and it's not going away. So we have to con- continue to provide the programs that we offer. Um, like Anne is saying, the food that they, the meals that they provide on a regular basis because people are hungry. We just have to figure out a way to truly make it sustainable. The education piece has to be there, but we also have to show them why they need this education. COVID taught us a whole lot about the gaps and what people actually need. And a lot of programming that came out of that is still going now, but it seems like we're um, being more reactive, still being reactive than proactive. We're giving, giving, giving. And again, there is a need. But when are we going to change that to let me show you how to do this for yourself or let's change some policies so it's no it's not so hard for you to get these things that should just be true rights that are available to everyone. I I have recently, I think over the past five years or so, I've, I've stopped using the word equality because equality is it's a good term and it, it sounds great. But in the true context of what it was, you're giving everybody the equal amounts of whatever it is that you're distributing. That may not be what's needed. So if you're giving someone who has a lot, an equal amount that you're giving someone who doesn't have, it's still not an equitable share. So we need to figure out ways to make things equitable in our policies that can directly affect every individual. So that we'll have a um, a healthier Memphis, a stronger Memphis, and be an example to the world. And can I add something? This is Ann. Um, Ann made me think about children because I think the I think the food insecurity is directly related to, um, of course, nutrition and then uh, medical well being. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I was a teacher, I could not teach if my if the children were hungry that that came in. And so, of course, there there were programs where kids could come in and get breakfast and then they could get lunch. And of course, we knew that then that was going to be their only meal uh, of the day. But if I had students that missed breakfast and they got to school late. Um, then I, I had to have something in my classroom if I wanted to teach them. And so it makes me think of, you know, policy around if we know that, you know, children who come from families who get benefits, it, it, I think it would serve those children and, and possibly cut down on medical um, in which, you know, where we have to offer 10 care if we said on the way out, these kids get um, to take a couple of lunches home after school. It, since we know that lunch is going to be their only meal, there could be policy around that. Like, you know, programming that. Um, and when I say this, I'm also thinking about, you know, wraparound services where the social workers are in the schools. Um, mm-hmm. and so identifying children who, you know, parents get benefits 
well, then we just send them home with food. And I know a lot of these uh, are trying to do things like that. But to me, when I think about policy, those are things that uh, also pop into mind. Well, I want to add to what you said, speaking specifically about the schools. I, I also talked for a brief stint. It wasn't in uh, Shelby County. It was in one of our neighboring counties. And when I would be on breakfast duty, I would be so disappointed because whatever they didn't eat, it could be they had these set meals that went on these plates that they gave to the kids. And sometimes they would only want some orange juice, but they had to take that whole plate or that whole tray. And it didn't matter if it went straight to the garbage or not. They got that orange juice juice off the tray and kept on going. And part of the policy was that they could not, the food, like um, not necessarily food that's open, but like the little boxes of cereal that they would have that has not been uncovered. They had to throw that in the trash, but there were kids that actually came in and ate the breakfast and they may have eaten that too, or taken it home with them for the next day. Cause a lot of these children that are dealing with issues also have chronic tardiness or chronic absence. And it could be because they had, don't have anything to eat at home. So providing something for them to take home is great. I used did volunteer with the um, Mid-South Food Bank when I was in school. And I would always go down there to where they did the backpack program to actually pack some meals for the weekends for kids to take home. But maybe we need to expand that to even during the week when they leave on that day, having something for them to eat at home. Um, I do appreciate a new initiative that Memphis Shelby County Schools has with the Community school, Schools Program. And from my understanding, I could be wrong, but from my understanding is it is actually working with the families because they can see that there's so much effect in the learning in the schools. If they can help the parents, if they can make a space for the parents to come to get resources, then that'll be beneficial for the total family. Thank you both for helping us understand some of the realities um, related to the work that you're doing. Um, Memphis is so lucky to have folks like you working in this space that are not just focused on the here and now, but also on the opportunities and, and how you can continue moving your work forward and moving the whole community forward. Um, you mentioned some pieces that you are celebrating in the ways that the community is supporting your work, supporting each other. Are there any, you know, recognizable partners um, who make your work possible that are making a difference when it comes to food insecurity? Well, I know I can specifically say, um, first of all, the producers that sell at our farmer's markets, if there is any type of outside need, when I go to go to majority of them, they don't mind stepping out, even though they're so busy, they'll go. For example, one of the towers that the mobile grocer goes to is um, they have a lot of um, residents that also receive the senior vouchers to use at the farmer's market, but they don't have transportation to make it to any farmer's market in the city. So I spoke to some of the farmers that actually come to the South Memphis Farmers Market. And prior to those vouchers expiring this summer, they set up a mini farmers market in the parking lot of that tower. So people would able to get would be able to get access to fresh fruits and vegetables. 
So I appreciate our producer so much. A partner that I work with very often in the food education source is the Shelby County Extension Office, where they have the UT and TSU agents that actually do nutrition education as well. So I'm able to work with them in the curriculums that we offer that are, again, evidence-based. So I'm able to spread the education that the words actually offers because I can bring other partners in that can provide nutrition education in a different space, but at the same time, because demand is there, but one person can't go out and do it all. So I appreciate all the partners that can come in and help and any other educators that come in, people that volunteer to come in to learn the curriculums that we offer so that they can also add to the amount of people that we're reaching. And um, for us at uh, our Spangle Church, we are members of the Mid-South uh, Food Bank. So a huge resource in our ability to provide pantry every Wednesday is directly related to our ability uh, to get food from the Mid-South Food Bank. Uh, our guests can come in every Wednesday when we've had a delivery uh, from uh, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. and uh, shop and pick out the things that uh, they want uh, for their families. And then we give them a hot meal that day as well. And uh, so our the parishioners at First Congo are huge uh, donors of the Food Justice Ministry, uh, very generous uh, folks. When there is a lack or a lag, um, you know, we can... We can say, hey, for this day, we need X, Y, Z. Um, and uh, they they rise to the occasion. And we also have local stores that uh, change up sometimes, but we're blessed to you know be able to get um, food that supplements what the that, that we get from the food bank so that we're able to um, cook a hot meal. Uh, three days a week and offer uh, sack lunches uh, also one uh, one day a week. So there's a lot of generosity in our city, um, especially this last Thanksgiving. You know, we reached out to some new folks that provided turkeys and all kinds of things. And of course, that's isolated and we need things uh, every day. But uh, we, we find that our city has been uh, generous. And in general, it meets the need. Sometimes there are gaps in what we're able to provide, but we have a whole host of volunteers that come uh, from the community and the church. And we're always looking for volunteers uh, in order to run our program because literally I am the only um, employee of Food Justice Ministry. And so it's not a one person, op uh, it's not a one person operation. And so a lot of our volunteers are from the church and uh, the community. And so we always need uh, folks to lend us their time, uh, food and uh, money, but that's how we make it work. That's how we make it work. So Anne, how can someone volunteer with you? And on the flip side of that, if someone is in need of services from the work that you provide, mm -hmm. how can they get in touch? How can they find you? They can... Um, Easily email me 
at uh, ann.perrywallace at firstcongo.com. Uh, that's the best way to begin the volunteer process um, and to and to get need. And uh, we also have a website where I post everything that's going on. Um, we get a generous donation um, from, uh, there's a group of deacons that pick up uh, from a local store and that's a, that's something that's extra and random. And when that happens, we, you know, we post it and uh, I call on the community of volunteers and they come right on out. But I would say either go to the uh, website that has our, our phone number um, or email me and at Perry Wallace at first, first congo.com or call me at uh, 901-213-8143. Wonderful. And Karen, we'll ask the same thing of you. How can folks support the work that you're doing? And if they are in need of services, how can they get connected? Of course, they can contact me. My email address is Karen at the works cdc.org and um, I respond to those emails pretty quickly. They can call our office at 901-946-9675. Also, we have um, websites and social media so people can see what we have going on and any opportunities they would like to volunteer. So if you go to the works cdc.org website you can find more information about the works and also the things that we're doing even outside of the food area um specific website for me is s-o-m-e-f-m.org and there's the south memphis farmers market website and on that page you can go to find out information about our grocer the mobile grocer the actual farmers market and the cooking classes that we offer if anybody's interested in signing up for a class, they can go to their website. I post the uh, dates and the times for classes that we have coming up. And also, if anybody wants to volunteer to cook or even volunteer at the farmer's market, they can also put that information on that page. And if they just so happen to be in the area and anybody needs assistance, they like I said, they can call the office or they can come by the farmer's market, the actual, mo not the mobile grocery, the brick and mortar story at 1400 Mississippi Boulevard. I am usually there uh, Monday through Friday unless I'm out in the community doing any other type of work. Thank you. And you've mentioned the farmer's market and that some of your vouchers, folks can use this at the farmer's market. Are you able to help us understand what the impact of shopping with local farmers can do for our community, you know, keeping those dollars local has to be something positive more so than going to a big box store. Is there a tangible impact that you're able to share in relation to that? I don't know specific as far as um, financial that the farmers actually get from it, but I know it's widespread, but just the health benefits of shopping local and the food, the food lasts. I can tell from like now, since it's not as plentiful, a lot of things aren't as plentiful in the wintertime, of course. When I purchase things 
they just don't last as long as they would if I purchase something from the farmer's market. And I shop with our farmers. I try to purchase something from every single farmer that we have every week. And those things last for an extended amount of time versus, let's say, a, a bell pepper that I that I purchased from the grocery store. Any of these uh, big box grocery stores, it might last a week. It's like I have to immediately go ahead and use it or chop it and preserve it however I'm going to do it in order for it to be worthwhile and I'm not losing money. And I did mention the voucher. So anyone that receives commodities throughout the year, in the summertime, the commodities are automatically, um, well, the vouchers are also automatically added to the commodities that they received in the months of July and August. And those help offset the cost of things that come into the actual farmer's market to purchase. And we're not the only ones that accept the commodity vouchers. It's about the farmers that go to all of the different markets. They they usually have signage up. So if somebody isn't available to come to the South Memphis Farmer's Market, there are farmers that take those vouchers in both the Cooper Young Market, um, I believe the Agri-Center Farmer's Market, and for sure the Memphis Farmer's Market downtown. And this is $50 for the whole summer that people receive to use to purchase fresh produce at the farmer's market. Just the benefits to your to your overall health by eating produce is great. But again, one of the financial things that I can say for sure is your money's not going in the trash because the food lasts so much longer and it tastes, tastes wonderful. I can definitely say that I know a lot of the produce that they sell at these farmers markets, it came out the ground on that day or the day before versus something that you purchased from a big box store. It may have come out the ground two weeks ago or even a week ago, and then it has to be transported to wherever it is to be on our shelf. Thank you for helping um, me understand that a little bit better. And I'm really inspired how both of your organizations are you know, number one, meeting the need to put food where it belongs, which is in our bodies. Um, but you're also, by extension, reducing food waste to some degree. Um, I know, Anne, you mentioned that there are local partners that you work with, grocery stores, um, who are able to help provide healthy food or food that would otherwise go unused, but that is still perfectly good um, and putting it where it's supposed to go. Um, we had a great conversation last year with Project Green Fork to you know, help us get a better understanding of what food waste happens in our community. It's just a fact of life, um, but that Memphis is doing a lot of things from a lot of different angles that's reducing that. Um, and I'm you know, really glad to hear that your organizations are even touching that issue from a different angle. Um, I'd love to understand for each of your organizations, and Anne, we'll start with you. What does success look like? You've already shared a little bit about what um, food security would look like and that seeing, not seeing as many return guests um, is success. But outside of that, you know, what, what does that look like to you and your organization? I think definitely because I'm relatively new in this position. I haven't seen a year yet, but in April it will be. Um, one of my goals was to spend this time really understanding what we're doing and do that part well. And one of the things 
that I want to graduate to would be to then uh, increase collaborations. And so, uh, you know, right now I have a list of services that I hand out to guests who, you know, when they need some place to to stay for the night um, or, you know, when uh, they're, uh, they need rent money and who do they call, um, et cetera. And so I think uh, successful, like to me, is not just having a, a list, but really concrete collaborations where um, I'm meeting the people who offer other services, uh, getting to know them. Um, and I, I, I used the word wraparound services before. You know, it would be to me, it'd be a coup to have, you know, uh, social workers come in and uh, meet with my clients and uh, help take them to the next level. Like what are what are the gaps that are keeping them in food uh, insecurity or keeping them from uh, being self-sustainable? And if we're able to connect them with some of those areas, um, and teach them some 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 principles, um, or send them on to the people who can teach them the principles. I would think that that would be success because then people, in effect, are, are graduating out of the need for our program. Success for me, as far as the cooking education classes that we offer, when people come back and they prepare a meal that we um, did in class and they prepare for their families and they say that, you know, they don't like these type of vegetables or they may not eat this and everything, but they enjoyed it. That makes a difference to me because I just feel like sometimes healthy is a, a negative word and people take it to be that it won't taste well. But I know that if I can give you something to show you how to prepare it and it still tastes good, but it's healthy for you, then you will continue to make that. So that's success to me when I know that what we're doing is not only having an effect on the individual, but everyone in their home. They're making conscious decisions to make uh, better choices. Uh, success to me also is seeing our farmer's market grow. Now, we won't necessarily grow in space. But the amount of people that come to the farmer's market makes such a big um, impact on me. To see the, the numbers increase over the weeks that we have the farmer's market to the point to where it's like it's, it's not enough parking in the area, but people are still coming. And our farmer's market is on a, a Thursday early in the morning and a lot of people work, but we still have a lot of people that come to the farmer's market. So I feel like that's a success. We have people coming in and taking advantage of what we have to offer. They feel comfortable with coming. Um, a lot of people, I remember them. Some people may have come one time and then I see them out somewhere and they're like, I've seen you somewhere. And I was like, yep, at the farmer's market, you shop at the South Memphis farmer's market and this is exactly where it is. So um, just that. And then with them coming in and participating in these simple programs that we have to offer, we're able to present them with other opportunities in other areas for what the work has to offer. And they're able to go through so many different things to put them, themselves and their families in a better place. 
Thank you so much, Karen and Anne. Um, I have kind of one final question for each of you, and that's what is something that you wish the community knew about food deserts or those experiencing food insecurity? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) I wish that people knew that people going through food insecurity and those living in food deserts, that they don't place the blame on the victim. There's so much, um, you know, victimization these days. It's, It's your fault that you're in these particular situations. And a lot of times it's not. People are doing their best. There's so many people that are, you know, the working poor, they're going to work every single day, but those ends never seem to meet. So if if more people had a mindset to where, how can I be of help instead of a hindrance? I think that that would make a big difference in our world. And it may also, I mean, going back to an earlier um, question that you guys asked, it may help to move the needle towards policies that are beneficial for everybody. For me, I I wish that more in the community understood, um, and I think Karen is right, um, that, you know, victim blaming is not is not good. And I wouldn't even call our, our guests victims. I would say it's a it's a human, it's really a human rights issue. And it's also uh, a vicious cycle. And until we reduce the need for um, what we provide in emergency assistance, we we won't solve the hunger problem because it's it's not just uh, it's it's a it's a bigger thing. It's a human rights issue and it's a I think it's a, a global hunger issue that needs to be dealt with on a um, I think a, a federal level, uh, a governmental uh, level, uh, because hunger is—it's. I just think it's so insidious in so many ways, and of course, it's about you know uh, poverty and systemic things. But I think if people understood that it's just not laziness, it's not. You know, if that person just got a job, um, it really is a vicious cycle um, that's systemic and that it's it's really everybody's uh, problem. Because on just a human level, there are a lot of people who miss one check and can literally find themselves with uh, out of home and uh, hungry and you know, a lot of people have somebody they can call, but a lot of people do not. And so it's not just a us and them. It's it's really a it's it's really a more bigger uh, issue that needs to that all people need to be aware of and be interested in because it's going to swing back around and affect those who don't who don't think they're affected by it. Uh, because if hunger gets out of control, I think we're looking then at you know, uh, how do the hungry then affect other people? Because people are not just going to be hungry. They're going to be desperate as well. And so I think if we look at issues like this as uh, everyone's issue to solve, everyone benefits. 
Thank you both so much. I feel like this has been a really illuminating conversation in so many ways and a great addition to the conversation that we had. Um, Rebecca mentioned one recently with, I'm forgetting the name, Clean Memphis. Yes, yes. We had a conversation uh, with Clean Memphis and Project Green Fork about kind of the flip side of what happens with food in our community. But we also had one with the Mid-South Food Bank and the Greater Memphis Chamber discussing how Memphis is both a food hub for the nation, but also has so many living in food insecurity. And so that kind of juxtaposition feels like kind of crazy at times, but it's so nuanced, the issues. And so we love knowing that there are places like First Congo and the Works that are stepping in to fill the critical needs um, and who are also advocating for policy change. So that's exciting. Was there anything that we did not ask you each today that y'all were hoping to talk about? I I think just on a um, just access level, I, I think I wanted to just say that, um, you know, people can come over to First Congo uh, Monday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. And uh, Wednesday, Wednesdays are the days that we do um, pantry where, you know, our guests come in and shop completely for free and um, and then check Facebook because we do have that special grocery delivery that I mentioned. Um, that's it's kind of random, but it's more like twice a month but when they let us know they're coming we post it and it's normally on a friday um and so just access and hours i wanted to say and could i actually get you to expand a little bit on um you've mentioned that your guests are invited to shop in your pantry what is the kind of humanizing impact of having that autonomous shopping experience versus being given what fe may feel like a handout? Yeah, I think that's a really great question because, you know, our groceries are so personal and uh, creating an environment where someone can come in and pick things off the shelves that they want, first of all, gives them uh, some personal choice. Uh, I think it decreased waste rather than just saying, here's a bag of food. Um, it's, it is very humanizing to say, come on in and, you know, uh, have a hot meal and come over and shop, pick out what you want and, uh, you know, know that you're welcome. And so I think it's it's really it's creating an environment that uh, does add humanity back to the fact that someone has to come and um, you know and get groceries from an organization, but we you know we we make it we make them feel at home. We make them feel that they have choice um, and that we are in community with them as opposed to, um, you know, the us and the them that often comes about in, uh, in the brokenness of society. 
That's so important um, and such a great reminder um, that we are all neighbors and Karen kind of in the the same vein, the way that your organization and you personally are working to empower our neighbors to take control of the knowledge um, related to their food. What does that mean to you to, to bring empowerment and education into the equation? That's what, you know, motivates me. That's what keeps me going. I, I feel like I get energy despite no matter how I'm feeling when I know I'm going to be in front of a group or we're doing something like we we could be even just packing bags and we're going to, have to distribute to the community. It gives, you know, me just a sense of um, peace knowing that I'm doing something beneficial, unselfishly doing something that's going to benefit someone and their family. It's, it's just a great feeling. And a lot of times, you know, I'll go away from I'm leaving with a food demonstration or a class or whatever it is that could could be happening. And I leave out a lot of times, not saying that I feel bad, but a lot of times I leave out feeling even better than I did going in because of the the thankfulness of the simple thing that you've done for someone, the fact that you've um, helped them. And they appreciate it so much. It's just a wonderful feeling. It really is. We we keep referencing previous conversations, um, but I specifically remember a conversation we had with Volunteer Odyssey um, about a year ago. And one of the things that came up is that we are so, it's so ingrained in us to want to give selflessly, whether that's time, talents, treasure, um, but to give selflessly. But Volunteer Odyssey shared with us that it's okay to feel good, uh, to do work that benefits other people because it makes you feel good. Um, And that there is you know, empowerment and that validation there. And so I'm so energized and encouraged by the energy that you feel in your work and, um, and, and the compassion that you bring in your work. And it just is such a great reminder that we are one community all taking care of each other. And Memphis is so lucky to have organizations like the two of yours that are helping us take care of each other. So thank you for your time today and for the work that you're doing in Memphis. Thank you for having us here today. I'm really grateful to be able to do this work and uh, to talk about it. And um, it's to me, I hope that it's a reminder that, you know, we we all are human and any one of us could, you know, uh, be in this situation. You know, I think Karen mentioned earlier the pandemic. Um, that was, I mean, if, if that didn't teach us that, you know, we're all so close to being reliant on um you know, our grocery stores and, um, and each other, I think, you know, we really got to really take a a larger look um, at this work. So thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. Also from me, I really appreciate the opportunity to share and also learning about a lot of the things that First Congregational does as well, because I, I did notice you all did meal, but a lot of some of the other things I did not know. So this is a learning opportunity for me. Yeah, we love to hear it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all. 
Independent Bank is celebrating 25 years of sharing your stories, building your dreams, and serving you heroically. Find out how iBank can help you achieve your financial dreams at i-bankonline.com. Member FDIC.